Coming up on Podcast 1938, a potential plaid version of the Model 3. Let's go electrified camping, and ChargePoint begins their Nax rollout. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or maybe good evening, wherever you are in the world. This is EV News Daily, your trusted source of EV information for the weekend. Hopefully you're having a good one if you are listening to this over the weekend, Saturday 21st of October. My name is Martin Lee, and I go through every EV story so you don't have to. We'll start with news of Volvo rolling out their new app for charging, pulling everything together across 30 European countries, 1,000 charge point operators, 590,000 public charge points, all within one app. Car makers are often doing this to have their logo, their brand, front and central in one simple app so you can pay for your charging. That way you can find a charging station to go to and that will be rolled out in the Volvo app for current and future owners by the end of November. Of course, the EX90, I think I'm right in saying, their new flagship EV will come with plug and charge. So find a compatible charger uh, once you are set up and you simply plug in and walk away. The new Volvo app will offer remote charging management so you can start or stop a charge session as well. That will be hopefully end of next month all rolled out. Great news, making things simpler and easier for us all to charge. A bit like the sponsors of this podcast, Octopus Electroverse. You know, one card, one map, one billing. It goes on my home bill. Love all that. Makes it so, so simple to use. Bit of a discount as well in places. Now, Rivian confirms their uh, commencement of construction for their Georgia-based factory in 2024. Initial phase will roll out 200,000 vehicles annually. By 2030, Phase 2 will be added, scaling up production to 400,000 vehicles annually. The follow-up to the R1T and the R1S, the R2 design, will also be shown off next year, as confirmed by company officials from Rivian yesterday to support the venture. They have received incentive packages from both state and local governments in the area for building out that Georgia factory. Link in the show notes if you want to find out more. ChargePoint seems to have stolen a march on some of their competitors by saying they are now adding Tesla connectors natively to their chargers. I guess now that NACS, N-A-C-S, is a standard and Tesla don't own it anymore, then I guess that you are free to go and stick a Tesla plug on the end of something. Um, well, they're doing that with their AC chargers now and DC chargers following suit in November. The new integration means the Tesla drivers, if they turn up to one of the new charge point units that has the Tesla plug natively on, uh, in fact, they'll dual charge a CCS1 and a, a NAX car. Uh, it just means that you can natively use charge points, fast charging network, which is very good. The charge point home flex, by the way, uh, the home solution uh, is anticipated to get the NAX cables at the start of next month, I think, as well. Now, let's talk Tesla teasing a potential Model 3 plaid or ludicrous. I don't know, really. If you remember, I told you recently about a story on the Model 3 to do with a digit in the VIN and showcasing a T in its eighth position. That is what the plaid version of the S and the X have. Does it mean a spicy version of the Model 3. Well, let's do two and two equals five, as we often do on this podcast. Think about the new Highland, the so-called Highland Model 3 that's out. The, the facelift version. Uh, there's no performance version of it yet. Uh, everybody's noticed, and it's the elephant in the room. You can get the real-wheel drive or long range, but there's always been three. There's always been the performance. There is no performance 
Highland edition on sale right now. So, why is this a story today? Well, uh, the user manual for the Highland edition is now online, and you know, social media sleuths have gone through it and found uh, an image in the Model Three user manual where the plaid logo—you know, that sort of spaceballs plaid whole thing—that you know, on the back of the S and the X. Um, and that logo is actually seen in the Model 3 user manual. And so, what does it mean? Is it Model 3 plaid? Is it Model 3 ludicrous? Uh, like the old, you know, P100DL, you know, ludicrous is the name that used to be in the car names at, at Tesla before they kind of got rid of that. It used to be on, you know, ludicrous mode on the dashboard and before that went. So, you know, maybe that's going to be a change of branding. Maybe there won't be a Model 3 performance anymore but a model 3 ludicrous or a model 3 plaid we'll have to wait and see all speculation at this moment but what would that story that i found a couple of weeks ago about the vin showing the t and and the lack of the performance version of the highland edition it's all kind of pointing in the right direction i think there'd be upgraded spench suspension further to the highland upgrades uh, better sports brakes and different wheel designs you'd think as well Tesla is ramping up their 4680 battery production for the Cybertruck in Texas, the newly introduced battery version of the form factor. 4680. They've improved it on the current ones they're using. The Cybertruck ones will be 10% more uh, with an energy advantage over the ones they're using in the Model Y. By the end of this year, Tesla says a complete transition to producing these new higher density cells for the Cybertruck will be done at Giga Texas. There'll be four dedicated battery production lines by the middle of next year. Uh, the production rate of the 4680s at Texas has surged by 40% in a big milestone. They celebrated the 20 millionth sell at the new facility four months after achieving the 10 million mark. Now, uh, we're also talking about this because the Cybertruck now has a date, if you missed yesterday's podcast, November 30th. Uh, maybe that'll be a customer handover. Maybe it'll just be a party. I say customer, it'll be staff. Uh, maybe it's just when we find out pricing and specs on that vehicle. The immediate goal for uh, the 4680s is to go into the Cybertrucks and uh, Giga Factory Texas Phase 2 with the 4680s is in its construction phase. Uh, that is just to expand the lines there. Uh, in California, the sort of Cato Road facility uh, is where they're going to optimize the production of their cell design. So they're, they're always working one generation ahead of the Giga Factories, if that makes sense. Tesla had a rough and tumble earnings call this week, and an up-and-down week. But, I mean, the stock price was down, unfortunately. Uh, recent price cuts were really the topic of conversation, and the margins at Tesla, no longer the kind of star of the automotive industry, falling much more in line with their competitors. Recent price cuts suggesting that consumers may not be willing to pay a premium for Tesla's vehicles. Uh, Tesla shares were down 9.3% uh, yesterday after the earnings. Maybe it was Thursday, wasn't it? Yes, after the earnings call, uh, bringing the stock down to $220 and a $70 billion market value reduction. It's still on a rip over the course of this year, by the way. It's the lowest profit margins in four years, I think, for this quarter. And they now align with the likes of General Motors and Ford. The Bernstein analyst, Tony uh, Sakanagi, commenting that Tesla appears to be a regular auto 
company. Questions arising from the latest financial results and Elon Musk's appearance on that earnings call. So I'm not sure I agree with the fact that they are appearing a bit like uh, a regular automotive company. I think there's a little bit more going on at Tesla than just making cars like we've just discussed uh, with all of their battery and energy storage uh, work as well. And, the, and as I said on yesterday's podcast, if you missed it, it was a special edition because there was one very pro-Tesla analyst who was on CNBC saying it was a disaster this week. And I thought, well, let's pick that apart because I'm not sure I agree with that. So it was a special edition one-off. Normally we do a news show, but a uh, single subject yesterday yesterday on the podcast. So check that out if you haven't yet. Now, let's talk a little bit about Ford. And that is their Mustang Mach-E recall. Had some new software to address this problem, I think, didn't it? But now this is a physical recall. 34,762 Mustang Mach-Es are going back to the dealers because of overheating in the high-voltage battery main contactors. It's the contactors in question. We've been talking about a while actually. Uh, Made from May 2020 to May 2022 uh, including the extended range rear wheel drive, all wheel drive and GT. Now the recall reports is the DC fast charging issue and consistent wide open pedal events. So lots of DC fast charging, lots of high performance driving could, in an exceptional circumstance, lead to the contactors. And I believe, this isn't in the NHTSA report, so excuse me uh, if I've got this wrong, um, I believe they almost uh, melt themselves closed. And the point of a contactor is that in a, a situation where it needs to be open, either an emergency situation or just that's how a contactor works. Uh, if it, it it welds itself closed, then it obviously doesn't work anymore. It just overheats, from what I, I gather. But so that's, that wasn't specifically mentioned in the report that I read. I've gathered that from over the years of talking about this issue. They issued a, a software update because of the overheating, uh, the arcing, the deforming, if you like, of the contact surfaces. They thought that a software update would be able to sort of uh, you know, limit and derate uh, the performance to get it under control. But now it's becoming a full-on hardware replacement. That's fine. Ford's first big EV project. They're obviously learning things along the way. And that's led into the Lightning. That'll lead into their next-gen vehicles as well. No mishaps, no injuries, no major problems because of this Ford point out. Dealerships will get this sorted. They'll be contacting owners soon. And this is a huge story next. New York City has removed the restriction on the quantity of cars that ride-hailing services can use in the city, as long as you use an all-electric vehicle. Starting yesterday, the initiative will boost the number of Four higher vehicles in New York City. The number stands about 78,000 right now, but it's aimed to be near the pre-COVID figure of about 100,000 with these new vehicles. The mayor, Eric Adams, was talking about this change. The goal to ensure that by the end of the decade, cars operated by ride-hailing services are pure electric. Next year, ride-hailing giants like Uber and Lyft are mandated to ensure that 5% of their vehicles are pure electric. Interestingly, officials noting that the current statistics say that they're at 10 So smashed it already. Before New York City's announcement in January about some impending regulation, ride-hailing companies had committed to transitioning their fleets to EVs anyway. Worth noting, these updated regulations don't extend to the sort of yellow cabs or green cabs you'll find in New York City. The union 
representing Uber and Lyft say this is a great uh, this is a great move and it perceives a fresh opportunity to get EVs on the road as a chance for drivers to transition from leasing their cars to owning their cars but more has to be done in order to get the infrastructure there to charge them up. The city originally had a limit on the number of ride-hailing vehicles back in 2018 to shield the traditional yellow taxi industry uh, and now that has largely been lifted as long as it's pure electric. Right, coming up very soon, we'll talk about a project in the UK to charge commercial vehicles and why, if you're going to go anywhere, you should do it in an EV for environmental reasons. Stick around, I'll tell you about that story and more coming up. If you'd like to get your podcast ad-free, by the way, you can do it by being a Patreon supporter. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash EV News Daily. It's how you pay my wages, in all honesty. Uh, it's how we fund this podcast, and it, uh, it's what allows me to do this work and spread the news about EVs every day. Now let's talk about the BYD seal down under in Australia. It's had a price cut within 48 hours, and that's not because no one's buying it. It's because, well, it's a bit of a comedy situation. Uh, the seal performance top-tier model has had a price cut of 50 Aussie dollars because it it was only just over the incentive limit in New South Wales and South Australia. So the cars the car was priced $50 too much to get the $3000 rebate until I imagine somebody or many people pointed out, uh, can I please get $50 off that car because, or can you reduce the recommended price by, so that that's, that fits in the rules, uh, so that I can save an extra $3,000 with the rebate. And, well, uh, you do have to actively apply for that rebate post-purchase, but very quickly BYD went, uh, yeah, good shout, $50 off. Uh, for New South Wales, apart from the rebate, there's also the stamp duty exemption for EVs uh, under 78 grand as well, but that doesn't really count so much in, in this one. So glad to see that little pricing move, but that's kind of embarrassing that uh, nobody pointed it out before they went on sale two days ago. BYD Seal, by the way, is a brilliant vehicle. Highly love that. Uh, GridServe, uh, the electric highway here in the UK, uh, interviewed their main man, Toddington Harper, on this podcast a couple of times now, actually. I really rate what they're doing. And I just love uh, love their facilities, love their electric forecourts. Now they're coming with the electric freightway, not highway. It's involving their consortium partners as well to have some fleet testing. Now, it's backed by some UK government funding, and there's going to be 200 high-power chargers at vital motorway service stations and 10 commercial depot charging sites in the first two years of a seven-year project. Seems like a long time. Can this not be a 12-month thing? Let's get our head around how we charge commercial vehicles. All right, now we know. Let's crack on. I hope this isn't going to be one of those things that just drags on and on and data collection, and uh, because it's an amazing thing, but... That's a long project time. We want to be cracking on with it way before seven years is up. And then they'll sit down for a couple of years and the government will look at the date. You know how it works. You know how it works. They'll have some people sit down and crunch the numbers and by 2030 be coming back with the conclusion, oh, yes, I think we decided uh, that we need to charge uh, electric trucks at very high speed in many locations and make sure that the grid is robust. Oh, really? Oh, thanks for telling us that. Seven years later. Anyway, it's a great project. Worth pointing out, actually, that um, that GridServe are going to put in two of the megawatt chargers. Not that the megawatt standard is 
ratified yet, but uh, it's not even a thing. But they're going to put two of those chargers in. I don't know the time scale for that. They must be fabulously expensive, but they're going to put some more of their regular, just regular, very high-powered chargers in anyway. But the megawatt stuff I'm really interested in because here in the EU, uh, regulations mean that after four and a half hours of driving, you have to legally stop for 45 minutes for a rest break, which is what you need to charge an electric truck. So as long as there's chargers where you need them, then driving an EV with a decent-sized battery, I'm not a massive battery, just works brilliantly for trucking. Now, recent data from the Department for Transport here it delves into the implications of driving different models of travelling with different models of transport. Planes, trains, buses, etc. And they uh, they came to the conclusion that going in an EV is only second to everyone going around on coaches. And that's only because of our electricity mix is still being cleaned up. And when that happens, then EVs will be number one and emit the least greenhouse gas emissions. So there's direct, there's indirect. So the direct is what comes out the tailpipe or not. There's indirect in how the fuel is then made. And so that's where the grid comes in. Really interesting, actually. If you go back to 2021, that's the most current data that I can find, that cars here, and and this is probably going to be a very similar story where you're listening, even if it's not exact, cars were 75% of the miles driven on the road, but just 55% of emissions. That's because, on the flip side, heavy goods vehicles were 6% of miles driven in 2021, on our roads at least, but 21% of greenhouse gas emissions. So, driving an EV, charge it on renewables, it's the best way to travel. Now, let's talk about how you use that energy, and Frankfurt Airport will establish bidirectional charging stations, 90 of them on their premises. Frankfurt Airport will have 650 vehicles added to their current 600 in the fleet, and they'll be electric. The use of the battery when these vehicles are idle will support the grid, trade energy when it's expensive and cheap, etc., etc., and use the combined battery power, if you like, of all the vehicles that Frankfurt Airport have uh, and operate them with bidirectional charging technology. They say there's some issues that you can't just buy these things off the shelf yet and that not all EVs that you buy can do bidirectional stuff. And also because there's no standardization in the bidirectional uh, kind of standards either. So they're getting these specialist vehicles, the ones that move air, aircraft around. They call them the aircraft handling vehicles, you know, sort of push back from terminal, that kind of stuff. Well, they're going to be electric, but there's no standard for the people that make those for bidirectionality. And so they say, this is great, we're going to do it, but work needs to be done. A couple more stories, and uh, Detroit Startup unveils new electric camper using General Motors' bright drop platform, Detroit's Grounded Company. Previously did it with the Ford Electric Transit. Now they've moved over to using the bright drop electric van. The G2 camper offers way more range, 250 miles, not 108 miles with the Transit. 165 kilowatt hour battery in this, uh, powering every wheel in the GM bright drop vehicles. Solar array on top, Starlink as well, induction stove, refrigerator. It, it is a little bit pricey for this all-electric RV. It's $195,000, which is the price of a house. However, RVs aren't cheap anyway, and you can order one right now. But if you want to save some money, uh, then try this one. You could go camping in the Pebble Flow. This is a, an electric 
I'd call it caravan, but it's called a camper. It's a caravan um, by a new startup led by former, app, uh, former Apple engineers uh, with a 45 kilowatt hour battery powering electric motors. You can use a gas a combustion vehicle to uh, to tow it, but obviously they're thinking about towing it with an EV. So a bit sort of push me, pull you. It reduces the strain on the tow vehicle. It's got its own battery. When it's not hitched up, it'll then you can use the remote control on your phone to move the caravan around because it's the axles powered has solar panels etc and uh, they can even you can even use it as an emergency power source when it's in your driveway or outside your home in the event of a blackout and this is a, a relatively cheap $109,000 compared to the previous RV that we just talked about and finally uh, Gravity, which I guess is known for the EV taxi service in New York City, uh, is unveiling their compact DC rapid charging system, a bit like the Kempower stuff. They're going to have dispensers in car parks and then all of the big heavy-duty, heavy-lifting stuff is done in cabinets 500 feet away. It's a 500-kilowatt DC fast-charging system. Gravity, uh, I need to know more about. So I thought I'd mention it at the end of the podcast. Uh, I don't know enough about them. Uh, it seems like a name that I've never said in the past in terms of making charging equipment. They operate a taxi service. And so where they have come from nowhere to invent the, you know, the world's fastest EV charging, not quite, but still. Like, okay, I'll do some more work on what gra- who Gravity are and whether this is pucker or whether it's just a press release and, and a couple of renders because these things don't look real in the pictures I've got. That's your podcast for today. Thanks to our premium partners, Porsche of the Village in Cincinnati, Audi of Cincinnati East, Volvo Cars of Cincinnati East, National Car Charging on the US mainland and Aloha Charge in Hawaii. Derek Riley from Nevo.ie and the Nevo EV Review Island YouTube channel. Octopus Electroverse, global public charging made simple with one app and one map. And Lease Plan Electric Moments. They provide all the tools and guidance EV drivers need. Have a good one. See you tomorrow. And remember, there is no such thing as a self-charging hybrid.